Over $60 billion venture capital dollars poured into fintech in the last five years. Close to a trillion dollars was invested by incumbents in that same time frame. Infographics show financial services has been unbundled, disrupted, and disintermediated. At the same time, other headlines scream the fintech bubble has burst and we're returning to reality. Disruption is real. Disruption is hard. Fintech 5 breaks through the signal to noise with five questions answered by the revolutionaries changing the world. Hear their stories, understand their why, sharing the triumph of change and the agony of inertia. This is the Fintech 5. Welcome back to the Fintech 5. I'm pleased to have David Ryling, CEO of Sunrise Bank, a family-owned bank in the Twin Cities, coincidentally where I hail from, and excited to talk about uh, something that's very near and dear to my heart, not just uh, innovation, but this idea of social responsibility. And what's interesting about Sunrise, it's a certified B Corp and has a stated mission of being a leading innovator in financial services that strives for financial inclusion. David, welcome to the show, and I'd love for you to start us off by telling us more about how inclusion and innovation became so central to Sunrise's strategy. Well, thank you, Jason, and it's great to be on your show. And Sunrise really grew out of the theory of uh, working in a low-income community here in St. Paul, uh, primarily working with Hmong individuals, um, immigrants, and it was our way of just integrating into the community and continually listening to what that group of immigrants needed as far as financial services were concerned. Um, And it was the mission, if you will, out of the only way that the bank is gonna succeed is if the community succeeds. And so with that, we just kept listening and tweaking our products and services, looking for different partners to share risk. Um, As a result of that, our reputation grew within the Hmong community uh, and we just continued to grow the bank. That led us to kind of the broader initiative of working in low and moderate income communities throughout the Twin Cities area, both in St. Paul and Minneapolis. Uh, which ultimately led us into the innovation and the leveraging of technology to do financial inclusion and financial wellness on a national and even partly a global basis. Fascinating to think of the populations you started with are probably not the same types of people that are working within the banks. So probably had to develop some real new muscles around being customer-centric and customer-driven in your development. Can you tell us more about how the bank approached that, how you broadly approach innovation? Yeah, um, the, it's not very scientific. And for me, I would consider myself very much an entrepreneur. And it's trial and error and fail forward and try to fail as fast as you can and don't bet the farm. Uh, and it really started with a, a very simple innovation, which would be, hey, if you really want to bank an immigrant group like the Hmong, which are Southeast Asians and Laotians, um, why don't you hire some of them? Um, and try to learn their culture and ingrain it into your bank and try to be sensitive to their needs and make it a, a nice place for them to come in and for people in, that they recognize and a language they recognize and a culture that's respected. And so it's just that little bit of kind of sharing of yourself and being open and vulnerable was kind of that first part of the innovation. Um, that really kind of led to, hey, we as a bank don't really know all the answers to what their financial needs are. So let's listen to them and let's not presume we know what they're looking for. Uh, We haven't walked in their moccasins, if you will. And so we learned a lot about them. We taught them a lot about kind of how to navigate through the financial services and the regulations of banking. Uh, And from there, it's a little bit of a co-creation process of 
taking what they're looking for and how we can morph and in some cases move around or uh, the right way around regulation and compliance so we can make products and services more accessible and convenient um, as well as easier to use. And I wouldn't say at a below market rate, but at just a fair market rate. Um, and as a result, um, that trust with customers and clients uh, just continued to grow, um, not only in the Hmong community, but in the general Twin Cities area. For those who don't know, and you probably don't know unless um, you're a little bit on the anthropologist side, or you happen to have resided in Minneapolis-St. Paul, the Hmong are a mountain people from Vietnam. And so if I think of two populations that are you know, pretty different and distinct from each other, the Swedish-Norwegian roots of a Minneapolis-St. Paul contrasted with the Hmong's, right, in a relatively flat place. You know, you are, you're absolutely right. And I'll give you one quick story that we had one commercial lender who actually was in Vietnam and walked the Ho Chi Minh Trail um, as a soldier, and he had pictures of it. And so he was probably one of our more successful commercial lenders because he walked the same path they did when they were fleeing out of Laos and into Thailand and Cambodia. Quite literally walked several miles in their footsteps. It's fantastic. So I love one of the concepts you brought up, right, is the fail forward. Can you give us an example of you know, a failure you had and one of the learnings that came out of that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I couldn't figure out why people were using uh, check cashers as opposed to coming into the bank. Um, and in my way, I got in my car, I drove around, I figured out that um, there were five check cashers within a six-block location of the bank. Um, I cashed a few checks. I figured out which was the smallest. Uh, in a couple of months, I made a proposal to to buy them, uh, ended up, it was not a very big price at all, ended up buying them. I brought the check casher into the lobby of the bank on the teller line. I cut the fees in half. I literally pulled up a chair and talked to everybody who came in. Um, and I started to figure out what they were looking for. So these are folks, in some cases, they had bank accounts, but in most they didn't, um, and the reason why. And I can tell you that from a bank's perspective, we were horrible check cashers. We were slow and inefficient. Um, a check asher kind of door to door is about 40 seconds. You know, we would take five minutes or four minutes and 40 seconds. Um, and so we just didn't have the model uh, that was conducive to the access and convenience that they really were looking for. Um, and we were not open late and so forth. And so, but it was that kind of failure of check cashing, which we really learned a lot about the un and underbanked and particularly um, it led us into kind of a space of leveraging technology, um, which the unaware banks really weren't afraid of. Um, they used electronic benefit cards, food stamps, if you will, um, in order to access county and state benefits. And so we figured out that if we could leverage that technology, we could bank a consumer that was a low balance, high transaction consumer um, and do it in a sustainable way. And it was really from there um, that it took off. And, Fast forward to today, we're probably in the top seven prepaid card issuers in the country in terms of volume, um, and a lot of those are geared towards un and underbanked individuals. That's a fantastic taking a failure, you know, being humble enough to recognize we don't do it well. You learned it from the data by talking to the customers, and then you turn it into strength. Um, could you talk maybe a little bit more about? 
Where do you see the role of technology in this mission of inclusion? Yeah, I see it as a real advantage. I mean, I, I think from an entrepreneurial mindset, it really gives us an opportunity to um, partner with financial technology companies and look for solutions um, for different segments of the market that have been underserved, if you will. Um, and, and in that space, I would say, we, we kind of put our financial wellness hat on and, and look at it from a lens of, is there a way that either we can directly or through financial technology partners in order to provide better or greater access to financial services, better or easier convenience? Can we make products, financial products easier to use, meaning um, are they designed in such a way that people can intuitively get them, that maybe the financial education is almost embedded in that, in that product itself so they can understand how it uses, it's very transparent. Um, so the ease of use becomes a, a real winner in that space. And we can deliver all those at a fair price point um, as a result of leveraging the technology and the scale that comes with it. So along those lines, let's get to the rapid fire portion here. What do you think is the most overhyped part of this fintech revolution right now? What technology are you sick of hearing about because you think you know it's just not going to pan out? You know, probably the one um, we constantly hear kind of lending schemes left and right and left and right about you know how many Facebook likes do you have and this and that. Um, you know, that's kind of old and, and begotten. Um, you know, the other one I would say there seems to be um, a whole lot of hype around cryptocurrency. I don't think that one's going to go away. I just don't think it's matured yet. Um, but it's it's on a path, and it just has to take its time and continue to learn and adapt and, you know, find its, find its road. So what's the most unappreciated part of the tech revolution? You know, I would say the most unappreciated appreciated part about the tech revolution would be, oh, this is super nerdy. Um, I really think that the design of products and the ability to bake in the regulatory compliance in the product, so the fact is we can comply with oh, umpteen zillion different bank regulations from cybersecurity to Bank Secrecy Act and anti-money laundering to finding out, you know, we know who you are. Being able to do that in so many different forms these days is a real key to unlocking, I would consider, financial inclusion. Um, because if I know it's you um, and I can verify that you have good funds, man, I can almost bank or serve you no matter where you are, any time of day, in a very compliant and safe way. Well, listen, I think most of our listeners tend to be on the nerdy side, and my wife lobbies all the time that the reason we're invited invited to so few dinner parties anymore is I get too excited to talk about the intersection of regulation and innovation. So just to wrap it up, give us two to three sentences on your soapbox right now, personal soapbox, David Ryling of Sunrise Bank. What is it you believe in? So my soapbox would be this. Banking is being completely disrupted from the front stage to the backstage. Um, in terms of it, it looks like blockbuster video and Netflix. Um, and so whether it's new products and services in the fintech, whether it's bank tech and automation or reg tech in terms of how these products are compliant, um, 
I think compliance itself, not just the cost, but the expertise to deal with it, it's going to be a huge differentiator on what banks are here today and stay and are successful. And I would say in my soapbox, the thing that depresses me the most about smaller community banks is the board and management. Uh, we have a phrase called stale mail and pale. Um, they're just the old white men just can't rule. Their inability to change is going to be the detriment of, of community banks. Um, and that inability and the lack of accepting technology and the digital revolution that we're in uh, will be their downfall. Oh, couldn't agree more. And so thank you for being part of the show.